Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here, you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray that you are inspired by their teachings. So in light of Pastor John's sermon last week about the little boy praying for a bike, you know, I got to thinking about that and realizing that little boy had not been really good all year. He didn't deserve to pray for a bike, so he stole Mary and held her ransom. And I realized, you know what? I've been a good kid. And so I I should deserve to ask God for a bike, but I realized that's not how God works. And so as John was telling that joke last week, I just knew where he was going with it because I had seen it on Instagram and Facebook. God doesn't work that way. You just don't ask God like he's a great big Santa Claus. So I stole the bike and asked God for forgiveness. So that's what I've done. And so I was wanting a nice budget. I'm just kidding. Those of you that are watching online, I am just kidding. I did not steal a bike. I actually had somebody text me during the first time that I preached this message and said, it didn't surprise me because uh, when we had the flood a few weeks, uh, a few years ago, um, after the tornado had come through, I needed a generator. And I knew this family had a generator. They'd let somebody else borrow it, but they had their power back on. And so I texted the family and said, well, if it's your generator and you don't mind, I'm just gonna go steal it from their house and bring it over to my house. And so I went to this person's house in our church and their garage was up. So I got the generator and took it to my house. And they said, our pastor steals all the time. I was going, all the time? It was one time. And I told you I was stealing it. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna be in Romans chapter eight. Um, If you haven't listened the last few weeks, this will be uh, a continuation of the last few weeks sermons as Pastor David preached out of Romans chapter five. And then last week, Pastor John was in chapter six and seven. Pastor John got to teach the really hard stuff um, about this battle that goes on inside of us. The things I wanna do, I don't do. And the things that I don't wanna do, that's what I do. And there's this battle of sin that's within me. And some of you may remember last week, he talked about the S word. And we talked about sin. If you have not watched that message, you'll want to go back, uh, go to the NAS Church YouTube channel, and you can watch that sermon from last week. Uh, Today, we're going to be in chapter eight. And while we're in chapter eight, I I called this chapter kind of um, the five greatest hits of Paul, Uh, because in this particular chapter, there are these songs, are these verses, these, these key things that we need to learn that many of them have been made into songs. And some of you may not know the songs. If you're a new believer and you've not grew up in church, don't worry about it. You won't know the songs that have gone along with these, but these sermons of Paul's, these little verses are really, really important. Uh, They're things that a lot of people base their life on or things that help kind of shift or change who they were. And so I'm gonna tell you real quick about the five that we're gonna walk through. And uh, then we'll kind of walk through them together if you wouldn't mind. So number one, Number one, the very first thing that we're gonna learn this week um, has to do with I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. Um, You know, some of you have heard, I remember as a kid, we sang this song, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Beautiful song, I'm not gonna sing it for you. Uh, But that's number one, we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, The next one, number two, is that I'm not a slave to sin. Um, some of you, since I've been here, we've seen the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God, uh, which takes us to number three, which is actually, I'm a child of God. And so as we learn these things, um, I'm not a slave to sin. I don't have to give in to the things of sin. Uh, number three, I am a child of God. Number four is um, we know that everything works together for good to those who love the Lord for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, that God can work through anything. 
for my good. Um, that's a basic thing that some Christians have come to know, and it's, it's a Bible scripture. It's one of the things that we talk about, and there's songs that go with that, um, that God's working all things for my good. The last one uh, that we're going to talk about is nothing can ever separate me from God's love. No, nothing. So while these have all been made songs in different ways, some of you may not know them, but the truth that is in them is really important. Now we've called this sermon, The Stand. And part of that is gonna be because I'm gonna have you all stand and proclaim some things today. We'll stand some, we'll sit some, and most of it's just to keep you awake, okay? Um, So we'll have a little bit of fun. But I wanna start uh, by backing up just a little bit into chapter seven. Chapter seven of Romans. Uh, This is kind of reiterating a little bit of what Pastor John preached about, kind of where he ended, and we're gonna jump right into chapter eight. So the very, very end of chapter seven, starting with verse 21, says this. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I wanna do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power or another law, some of your versions will say, within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin, the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So some of us, if you looked, we changed chapters and uh, we'll go from chapter seven to chapter eight there. And for some of us, we don't understand. This is a letter that Paul's writing to a group of people. These chapters and verses are just done for translators. So they've got smaller bits to translate. Um, so Paul didn't actually write the Romans, uh, a 16 chapter book. How many of y'all have ever written a love letter to somebody? How many of y'all ever wrote one so long you broke it down into chapters? You know, chapter one, I love your hair. You know, chapter two, that's not what Paul's doing here. All right? Paul didn't break this down into chapters. So let me read this little segue for you again, because sometimes we stop and then we pick up chapter eight. But what Paul's trying to say to us here in chapter seven is I see this, this law that's at work, who will save me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really wanna obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. I want you to picture being in a courtroom. You're in a courtroom. You know you've done things that are wrong. You know you're guilty. Pastor David actually preached about this a few weeks ago. Um, He was in court. He knew what he had done was wrong. And the judge asked him how he pled. He said guilty. And the judge goes, wait, 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 wait. Um, If you plead guilty to this, here's the bad things that are gonna happen. And David goes, but I did it. And so as it ended up, he ended up getting to go plea bargain. It didn't have to go to jail, thank God, Um, or he might not be preaching to us today. But anyway, but he's sitting in the front row. Don't ask him what it is that he did, by the way. Um, Imagine this judge saying to David, 
okay, you're free. You're free to go. You're not condemned of this. And David going, oh no, I really want to take my punishment. I deserve it. I need it. Go ahead and give it to me. What Paul is saying to us is in Christ, what Christ has done on the cross has made possible for every one of us no condemnation, possibility for us to be made free. But some of us still live in the bondage. Some of us have not accepted what God has done for us. But for those of us that have accepted what Christ has done for us, there is no condemnation for you. Let me say that again to you. There is no condemnation. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how heinous and awful you think it is. I want you to picture a judge there holding the scales, saying you've been tried. You have been found wanting. Remember that? What was it, David, exactly? Yeah, you've been tried, you've been measured, you've been found wanting. And then God comes in and says, but you're free. You're free to go. God, through Christ, has paid your sacrifice. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want you to stand, and you're gonna proclaim something. You're gonna proclaim it out to the world. You're gonna proclaim it to the person beside you. I want you to say, I am not condemned. Now, I want you to look at the person beside you so they can hear it. Look at them and say, you are not condemned. I see some spouses going, well, I don't know. I still want to condemn you there. Go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. There's a sense that we're not condemned. God has declared us free. God has declared us okay. God has declared us not guilty. You are not condemned. Some of us struggle because Satan continues to come and condemn us and remind us of the things that we have done. Whenever you hear that voice, I want you to stand again and say, I am not condemned. Now with each of these five points we're gonna talk about today, every one of them has to do with us personally. But I know that as I talk with friends and as I talk with people around here that say, I just don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to tell people about the hope that I have in them, that I have in Jesus, the hope that they can also have in Jesus. You need to realize that each one of these points are not just for you, each one of these points are for your friends, your family members, those who are struggling. You have friends that feel condemned. You have friends that know the things that they've done. They know that they need freedom. They know that they need to be forgiven. As we walk through the rest of this chapter, each one of these points that we talk about are not just for you. I want you to think about how you would share these points with your friends. And if you go, I can't remember them all. You know, the Bible is so big. You don't have to remember the whole Bible. All you have to remember is Romans chapter eight. All five of these things are right in Romans chapter eight. It's a phenomenal place to go for you, but also for sharing with your friends. Here's point number two. Point number two is a good one. Uh, you go down to verse 12. Paul says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Through what Christ has done on the cross, not only are you no longer condemned, but since Christ has paid the price for you, he's also given you power over sin and death and the grave. So this sin that you feel like, well, I've, you know, I've got to do it. Have you ever been around somebody? Maybe, maybe some of you are this way. Um, you've heard people say, well, the devil made me do it, right? I couldn't help it. Once, once the devil says do it, you got to do it, right? Some of y'all are laughing, but I mean, that's the way we live. Uh, for some of us, it may not be the devil, it may be we feel like it's the addiction. You don't understand the strength 
of this addiction. You don't understand the strength of what comes my way. It's so hard to overcome. And if you don't have that addiction, you don't understand. Paul says, you don't understand. Every one of us has an addiction to sin. There is something within us that always wants to push us to do what we don't want to do. Paul talks about it in Romans 6 and 7. Ah, this thing is so horrible. It goes on within me. I want to do what's right, but I can't because this other thing comes my way. Most of us and many people that will read through the book of Romans, they read this part and say, this is just the way it is for those of us that are Christians. There's always going to be this battle that's going on in us. And Paul will say, there is this battle. There is this battle. But the Holy Spirit gives us strength over the sin that is within us. So that I'm under no obligation to do what my sinful nature tells me to do. Your sinful nature may say to you, hey, it probably sounds a little bit more like this. Look, you're only human. You're weak. Um, God doesn't expect you to really stand up to all those things anyway. So just give in one more time and God can forgive you anyway. So don't worry about it. Paul already told us in chapter five, by no means should we live that way. What Paul says here is through the Holy Spirit, you're not under any obligation to do the things your sinful nature tries to get you to do. You don't have to do it. When those things come against you, you can say through the power of the spirit, no, I'm not gonna do this. I want you to stand with me again. This is the second thing I want you to say. Ready to declare this real loud. I am not a slave to sin. Look to the person next to you and say, you are not a slave to sin. Okay? Now say this real loud. Sin can't tell me what to do. That's a good one, huh? Sit down, sit down. Sin can't tell me what to do. You're not gonna tell me what to do. I had somebody, somebody the other day, it was funny, somebody in here, they told me to do something. And I said, you're not my real mom. You can't tell me what to do. They didn't think it was very funny. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. Uh, John Wesley, John Wesley talks about, um, this is a really crazy thing that happened in his life. He was a pastor. He was preaching, but he was always struggling with this Romans, I would say five, six, seven, the sense of, I keep stumbling, I keep falling, I keep messing up. And uh, he kept reading his Bible and thinking, there's got to be a way through this, but, but maybe not. This is just the lot that we have. And he was in Georgia. He was over here in the colonies back before we were in the United States. He's listening to some guy read from the preface of Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. That is some exciting reading right there. The preface to the commentary, um, he's reading. And while the guy's reading it, um, Luther or uh, John Wesley realized, oh my goodness, God loves me. God died for me. God wants me to have power over these things. And as he's praying, he's saying, God, I can't do it. And he felt like God was saying to him, you're right, you can't do it. So just let me take over. Let me have control. Wesley had already been praying that. Lord, please take control of my life. Please do whatever. He began to feel his heart strangely warmed. And Wesley would say, he said, it's really weird. When God had full control, as I would walk out and he said, I kept having the same temptations. The temptations did not go away. In fact, new temptations would come. But I found that as I was submitted to God, instead of failing all the time, I began having victory all the time. I was able to stand up to those things. I remember one time I was about, I think I was 20, 21. I was talking with my uncle uh, who was a pastor. He was close to 80 at the time. And I remember asking him about a few particular sins. 
temptations that I was struggling with. And I asked him, how do you, how do you deal with these, Uncle Bill? How do you overcome these sins? And um, I said, when you struggle with those, what do you do? And I remember him looking at me and I was embarrassed because he said, uh, I can't remember the last time I struggled with those. And I thought, tag, nabbit. I just told him I'm struggling with these things. This is horrible. And uh, so what do I do with that? And he looked at me and said, oh, but that doesn't mean I don't still struggle with temptation. He said, God continues to bring different things. Or not God, but Satan brings different things. Sorry, Satan brings different things to tempt me um, all the time. And he said, you know, as I've gotten older, those temptations have changed. The pastor that I used to work for, um, he said, the sins of the young person are seduction, uh, sensual, sexual sins, things like that that want to pull us away. We want power. We want to, he said, the sins of the older person are safety. I want to be secure. I want to be safe. I don't want to trust God. I don't want to do what God's told me to do. We're always going to face temptations. It's the nature of the world in which we live. But we are not slaves to sin. We can be slaves to God, to the Holy Spirit, to what he wants to do in and through us. Now, Paul will use that language. We're no longer slaves to sins. We'll now be slaves that are run by God. But he goes, that's ah, not really slaves, which brings us to our next point. In verses 15 to 18, he says this. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Uh, Abba is what kids in the Middle East, it's a transliteration of daddy. It'd be just us saying daddy. Do you ever cry out to God and just say daddy, father? For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Stand with me real quick. Here's the next thing I want you to proclaim real loud. I'm a child of God. Can you say that? Look to the person next to you and say, you're a child of God. That makes us brothers, sisters. Some of you are going, I don't, I don't want to be their brother and sister. Go ahead and be seated for a second. As we talk about family, this passage I know is tough for some of us. To look at God as father. The last few weeks I've had interactions with a few different people that have talked to me about their struggles viewing God as father. When they first became a Christian, it was really a struggle because they had a horrible relationship with their dad. Um, one of the guys said, my, my dad treated me more like a hired hand. There was this other guy that treated me more like a dad. And I, and I asked the question, how did you know that he treated you more like a dad? You, you know what a dad's supposed to be like, right? It's like, well, well yeah. So you know what a family's supposed to be like, even if you had a bad family? What God is trying to say to us is, you know what a good family is? You know what a good loving father is like? That's what I want to be to you. That's who I am. In fact, I wanted it so badly that even while you were still sinners, I died for you, not just because God needed more followers. God doesn't have this big, giant, heavenly Facebook where he's going, oh, wow, look, I'm up to three million followers. There's five billion people on the planet. Now I'm up to a billion of them. This is awesome. We need to get more followers. That's not what God's looking for. God's looking at people that he's created. That he says, I made you in my image. You're my children and I love you. And even though you've turned your back on me, I want to restore you to be children, to be my children. I love you. That's what God desires of you. You are a child of God. He loves you and he wants you to adopt you back into that family and make you his. You've got friends 
that have horrible family lives. They've got terrible things that have gone on in their lives, just like many of you. And God's saying to you, hey, guess what? I want them adopted into my family too. Not because I'm looking for more likes, not because I'm looking for more followers, not so we can say that Christianity is a bigger religion than some other religion. God's not looking for that. God loves you. God looks at those that are lost as those that are lost from his family that he wants to bring back in. And he's called us to be a part of that. That's what family does. When people wander away from family, you go after them because they're your family. Do you hear me, church? This is what Paul's saying to us. This is what God is saying to us. So you're a child of God. Now, he also says if we're gonna share in his glory, we also share in his suffering. There's a, some tough stuff that goes along with that. So this is the rough part of the message today. This is as, this is as hard as it's gonna get. Uh, there are some principles that play out in life. Um, you can be a disciplined person or you will be disciplined, okay? Let me put it that way. Um, here's, here's part of the way that plays out. Um, we've been talking about Sabbath, right? Sabbath is something where you rest, you find rest, you find peace. Um, you can give God Sabbath. You can take a full day a week and rest and relax and worship him. Uh, here in America, they've done a study on people that tend to rest and relax and do things like that. There's a group of people in U.S. Uh, denomination called Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists uh, take time to take Saturday. That's why they're called Seventh-day Adventists. They take Saturday as the Sabbath. And many of them on Friday nights, they will prepare their meals. They will do all the stuff ahead of time so that on Saturday, they can rest and they can relax and they can worship God. That's all they do on Saturday, the Sabbath. Now that sounds weird, but it also sounds like what the Bible says. Take Sabbath, right? Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. So if we disobey the Sabbath, what happens? Is God gonna strike us dead? Doesn't appear that way. But here's what does happen. Um, as they've studied, they've realized that most people live to be about 70 years. It's growing a little bit more, but about 70 years. Over that 70 years, if you took one day, right, every week, over that 70 years, you would have another 10 years of time that you have rested. So what do I do with that 10 times? That means I'm wasting 10 years of my life by taking a Sabbath. Yet here's what's interesting. The average Seventh-day Adventist person lives 10 years longer than the average American. Hmm. You can take Sabbath or Sabbath will be taken from you. Does that make sense? When the Israelites get sent into uh, captivity, uh, they end up being in captivity for 70 years. Now, we know all the crazy things that they did, but the question becomes, why 70 years? If you want to read the book of Daniel, um, it says, because you've not let my land rest. You've not taken Sabbath. You've not let the land rest every year, every seven years, the way I told you to. And so for 490 years, you haven't done that. So since you never gave my land Sabbaths, my land is gonna get its Sabbaths and I gotta get you out of the country for 70 years so that the land can take its Sabbaths. Some of us, if we wanna live like Christ and become like Christ, we need to learn to discipline ourselves, to live like him now. We become like him. You can discipline yourselves now or discipline will come to you later. We talk about that as we eat, the foods we eat, the things that we do. I can discipline myself now or I can be sick later. Here's my favorite story with this. I was about 27 years old. I used to work, and I still do, but I'd work like crazy 
until I would wear myself out. I was a college pastor, so I hung around with college kids a lot. I'd go into work super early, about 7 a.m. at the church, and um, I'd get home about 10 o'clock, and sometimes when i get home, there'd still be college kids over at my house doing laundry or whatever. So I just, I worked like that all the time. Um, Sunday, we had multiple services in the morning, in the evening, all kinds. So I went like crazy, and I very rarely took a day to just purely rest. And what happens with me when that happens is I end up getting a sinus infection. I get worn out, I get worn down. And so I did what we do. I'm at home, I was sick, um, had a fever, laying in bed. And so I'm alone. And what do you do when you feel that way? You call your mom, right? My mom was 800 miles away in Miami and I wanted to feel better. So I called my mom to say, mom, I'm not feeling well. And I knew, I knew she would say, oh honey, I'm so sorry. I wish I could be there to, to make soup for you or to you know, make you feel better. I wish I could cook you know, fried chicken and gravy and mashed potatoes, the foods you like. I wish I could be there. I'm so sorry I can't be there. That's what I knew my mom was going to say. So I picked up the phone to call my mom to get that nice, warm, comforting feeling. So I called my mom and said, hey, mom, how you doing? She goes, wow, this is a weird time for you to call. Are you not at work? No, I'm at home. She goes, oh, are you sick again? Yeah. You've been working really hard, haven't you? I said, yeah. You know, you and dad taught me to work hard. That's what I thought, you know, thinking in my head. And um, so she said, you've been burning the candle at both ends, haven't you? And I said, yeah. She goes, I don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> she says, one day you're going to have to learn to quit doing that. She said, I said, mom, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to say you love me and you want to give me soup. She said, I've tried that for 27 years. It hasn't worked. So sorry. You're not a good, good mother. I mean, this is not... This is not the way things are supposed to work. But what mom was saying was, Dale, you can rest or you're going to be forced to rest. Folks, we can learn to live like Christ has called us to live. It's tough. It's not always easy. But we can do it by disciplining ourselves to look like him, to let the Holy Spirit live through us, or discipline will come. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, that's the rough part of the message. That's the rough part. Let's get on to some other good stuff. Some other good stuff. Be disciplined or discipline will find you. That's the easiest way to say that. Romans 8, 26 to 30 says this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but God, the Holy Spirit, prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows that the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance. Oops. God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them his glory. This scripture is real clear. Two things it says to us. Number one, we don't always know how to pray. For those of you that don't know how to pray, I know some of you have begun setting your alarms at 12.15 and you've been praying and just seeking the Lord for your own life, seeking him for what he wants to do in and through our church. Um, One of the most exciting things for me has been to get phone calls or texts from people. And if God's sharing something with you, just just text it to me, send it to me, email me at dbenson at thenaz.church. Because part of what I'm hearing from people is they're taking time to just spend a little bit of time with God every day at 1215. For some people, it's 
25 seconds. For some people, it's 30 minutes. But what they're beginning to see is, you know what? I've, the time that I spend with God, sometimes I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to ask. But the Holy Spirit prays for me. Some of you say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Spend the time alone with God. Say to him, I don't even know what to say. Can you help me pray? So I'm 52 years old now. I've been a Christian most all my life. Some of my best prayer times are the moments when I say, God, I don't know what to say. Would you just speak through me now? Nothing weird happens. There's no sparks or fireworks or anything like that. But there's a, a sense of God praying with me and speaking with me. And it's amazing what you can hear from God when you're actually quiet. And God begins to speak. So when you say, I don't know how to pray, God tells us he knows that many of us don't know how to pray. That's why he has sent the Holy Spirit. So just admit it and say, God, I don't know what to say. Would you speak through me? And begin to just commune with him. Some of you are going through junk in your life right now that you don't know how you're gonna get through it. In fact, that's the times that most I don't know how to pray. I think I know what I wanna pray. I think I know how to pray. But the more I get involved, the more I just don't know. But Paul tells us right here, and you know what? God can work everything together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Stand with me real quick. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, God can work anything for my good. Now I just want you to look straight forward, close your eyes and say it to yourself. God can work anything for my good. Anything. Anything. What's running through your head right now? What is it you're going through? You're going, not this. This is horrible. I've made this own mistake. It's my own fault that I am where I am right now. God's not gonna work this out. Anything. Anything. God can take ashes and turn them into something beautiful. God can take broken pots and use them for his glory. God can do anything. Say it again, anything. What is it that's going on in your life that you think God cannot do? He says, that's exactly what I can do. I can do anything and I can work it out for your good if you're gonna be called according to my purpose, if you fix your eyes on me. Some of you know there's been junk in my life. I'm not gonna go through all the stories or all the stuff, but I've sat with other people who have had horrendous things happen to them and they're joyful. They're exuberant. They're looking at how God's using them and I'm going, how can you be joyful? And they're going, you know what? This is what it is, but God has shown me what he can do through it and I'm letting him use me and I'm letting him do what he wants. I've seen other people go through the exact same circumstances and become bitter and harsh and mean and angry. Have you noticed that with COVID that's kind of happened with some of us? Some people are allowing God to work things for their good and others are continuing to not to. God can work anything for your good. Go ahead and be seated. Um, so this last few months has been fun as we've walked through all these things. I'm gonna read you one last passage and we'll be done. Romans 8, 31 to 38. This is like, this is the high point of everything. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will condemn us? For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death or have to wear masks or have to get vaccinated or, oh, sorry, that's not even in there. Does it mean he doesn't love us if all these things come our way? No. As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God's love from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to stand with me real quick. Amen. Here's the last one. A minute ago, I told you to look at each other and say anything. I want you to look at the person beside you and say nothing. That was weak. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing what? Nothing will ever separate me from God's love. Are you going, I don't know about that. Nothing will separate me from God's love. What about that thing I did way back there? I had people come to me sometimes, say, Pastor Dale, I'm afraid I may have committed the sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm going, if you're afraid you may have, you haven't. God loves you. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. He cares for you. What about those things I've done He's already told you if you confess him, you're not condemned. He's not looking for you to become his slave so that he can sit back and go, remember, yeah, I'm feeding you. Everything's okay, but it's because of all that bad stuff you've did, done, you're still a slave. He says, no, 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 I want you to be my child. And all that stuff you've done, if you'll let me, I can work it out for good. It doesn't have to be bad. What Satan meant for evil, I can turn for good. And guess what? My love for you, nothing can separate you from that. Nothing that you've done, nothing that you can do can separate you from my love. You always went through, we went through five like high points of Christianity today. That's good news. I'm a sinner. I've done all these things. Yeah, 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 but you're not condemned anymore. Not only you aren't condemned, but you're not a slave to sin anymore. God's called you to be his child. He can work all through th- things for your good and none, nothing will ever separate you from his love. You realize all five of those things, some of you go, I don't know the Bible. I can't read the whole Bible. Just read Romans 8, for goodness sakes. All five of those things are in this one chapter. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me real quick. Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I have a feeling there are some people in here today who still feel condemned. Family members, friends, Satan himself keeps reminding them of the things that they've done. 
They feel condemned. They don't feel worthy. God, I pray that today they would realize that you have paid the price so that they don't have to be condemned. They can accept the free gift that you've given them. And there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Help them to accept that, God, and walk in it today. God, I pray that you'd be with my friend who's in here today or the one who's watching online, whoever's under the sound of my voice right now, that, Lord, they're struggling with an addiction. And they've just given in to say, well, this is just the way life's gonna be. I don't have enough power over it. I think I do, and then I realize I don't. God, I pray that they would submit their lives to you in such a way that they would say, God, I can't do it. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. But through your Holy Spirit, God, would you give me strength? Would you do it through me? Would you help me to be an overcomer where I don't have to obey the sinful nature anymore? God, help me to realize I'm not a slave to sin. God, I pray that you'd be with my brother or sister in here today who's, Lord, they're, they're watching from the outside. They believe in God. They believe in you in some form or fashion. But they're kind of watching from the outside. They're looking and they te- keep talking about those church people. They keep talking about how y'all do things. They've not found the way yet to realize that they are your child that you love them. They're they're on the outside looking at a family, trying to figure out if they wanna be a part of it, trying to figure out if you really love them. God, I pray that you would help them today to take that step. God, just to say, Father, I, I, I come to you. Hear that you love me. God, these sins that are in my past, these things that have kept me from you, I, I give them to you. Thank you for loving me and for making me your child. God, help me to walk like your child. Help me to walk like I'm a part of your family. Help me to talk like I'm a part of your family. Lord, I've, I've been on the outside for so long, I don't even know how to talk like I'm yours. Make me yours. Father, I pray that you'd be with my brother or sister that right now is going through something horrendous. Lord, their marriage is in disarray. They just got a cancer diagnosis. Lord, they just lost their spouse. Lord, I know all of those things are happening right now in the lives of our people and lives of your people. God, be the lifters of their heads. Help them to know Father, that while these things, we live in a fallen world and bad stuff happens, that you can work those things out for our good. I know they don't know it right now. Many of them don't even want to hear it right now. God, I pray that as they walk through this, they would remember that you have said you can work these things for good for those of us that are called according to your purpose. So Father, help them to walk in that call, even when it's hard. Help them to keep their eyes fixed on you. Help them even now to say, Father, I don't have the strength. I don't even know how to pray. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you'd be with us, those of us that are here, those of us that are watching online. I have a feeling that right now, as some of us were praying, you brought some of our friends to mind. And while we're praying, yeah, God, 
be with them. Yeah, God, lift their heads. I pray, God, that you would help us to understand that when our friends don't remember, when our friends can't hold steady and can't hold firm, Lord, help our faith. Help us to give them a measure of faith, to be there with them, to remind them that you love them, that you're there with them, that you will work this out for their good. God, help them to see that as we come alongside them and help them in their weakness. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. Finally, God, as we get ready to leave this place today, help us to know that there is nothing that can separate us from your love, neither height nor depth nor principalities or powers nor things present nor things to come. Lord, that not, the, not even the powers of hell can separate us from your love. God, I pray that you'd speak that into the life of whoever needs to hear that this morning because life seems like hell right now. They don't know what's gonna draw them away next. But Lord, they need to hear that you love them. Father, as we prepare to close this prayer, I pray that right now you would bring people to our minds that need to hear these words. Lord, we have friends who feel condemned. We have friends who are still slaves to their sin. We have friends who need to know that they are your children. We have friends, Lord, who are struggling with life right now. We have friends who don't feel loved. God, I pray that you would help us to be your very hands and your very feet and we would go armed. Lord, with Romans chapter eight, but there's just one portion of this one letter where Paul gave us such awesome stuff, such good news in the midst of the world in which we live. Lord, help us to take that in your power and your strength and that we would love like no other people so that Grove City and the surrounding area, middle Ohio, Lord, people would be changed because of our relationship with you. All these things, Father, we ask and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.